The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Barron's Live. I'm Becky Strum, Managing Editor at Mansion Global, and joining me today is Bess Friedman, the CEO of New York-based real estate agency Brown Harris Stevens. Uh, Welcome, Bess. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Becky. So nice to see you today on this Friday in June in New York City. (laughs) Thank God it's Friday. Thank goodness, right? (laughs) Um, A reminder to the audience to ask questions at any time. I'll try and save about 10 minutes at the end to get to whatever's been asked. Um, So we spent so much of the pandemic uh, when Barron's Live was born coming back to New York City because it was the main story at the time. Um, And the housing market, of course, was going through this huge downswing and then a subsequent surge in activity. So it's been total roller coaster. Uh, Where are we right now? Where would you say we are in sort of this roller coaster ride? Yeah, I think we're in a a calm place right now in New York City. It's a good amount of supply and demand. It's a fluid, a decent market. As you just alluded to during the pandemic, it seemed like everybody left town. At least it felt like that in New York City, like, you know, things were closed. Real estate agents couldn't show properties for three months. So the market really did stall for a bit. Uh, And then people, as you know, were all saying, oh, New York City's dead. It'll never make it through this. It's over for New York. You know, there were a lot of haters. Um, and Jerry Seinfeld, did you read his op-ed that he wrote back then? Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. I love that. Um, and, and so I think then after the pandemic, as we saw in 21, we saw this huge burst of, of purchasing during that time. And the market has gone through a bit of a transition. And now we're in more stable Uh, territory. It's been recalibrating. And the fact that we have good supply is a good thing because other territories are challenged with uh, supply issues um, and prices being too high. And so, but we're not in that place. New York City is pretty steady right now. Right. So we just had um, a story this week from realtor data from May uh, nationally that home prices basically flatlined in May, um, certainly growing below inflation. Um, and price cuts are growing. Uh, and it seems that that doesn't apply then to New York City. New York City is an outlier in that narrative. I agree. Well, New York City, the prices have been pretty flat for a while in the right. city. You know, they really have if you look at it. And uh, but there were places that uh, sellers really did need to in other areas, you know, uh, lower prices because there was this really aggressive pricing. And, it's, and now is not a time for aspirational pricing really at all. Um, and I think now sellers are starting to to reduce prices to a place where buyers feel like they can make bids and potentially get a deal done. Uh, because remember, what's going on in the economy impacts the housing market greatly. Um, if rates are higher, if inflation is still a thing, which it is, even though it's come down, um, if there's strain in the air, stress, um, and if people are talking about a looming recession and all of those things, that impacts our housing market. And so I think sellers recognize that for the most part, we're in a buyer's market. 
unless they're you know selling something that is deeply unique and special that's never been on the market um, they can usually price a little bit higher but otherwise you have to be cognizant of what's going on and where people's heads are consumers you know, kind of dictate what's going to happen, you know, and if they're feeling uncertainty because of everything that's going on and they have less dollars to spend, that is going to impact the housing market in general. Discretionary is different. Luxury is a little bit different because those people are kind of um, able to do make make decisions differently. Right. Right. I feel like a big problem right now in other markets is that they've had this huge run on prices. So now sellers are are really unwilling to to budge because, it, you know, it's not the market that it was and they're not willing to accept that. But New York didn't really have that. So in a way, sellers are in a better position because they're not, you know, feeling left out of the party of the last. No, they're right. They don't. And that's also a challenge because we all do this. I think it's a human quality that we look back as to what was mm. it's like rates when rates went up. Right. Like everybody was having a hard time. There was a stall. There was a lag because people were like, well, rates were just 2% and 3%. There's six now. I'm not going to do that. But now enough time has gone by that people have said, okay, this is where they are. I have to accept that this is where it is today. And so it's, it's our reality now that rates are in a different place than they were it was free money for a long time. Now it's like I say the market is supposed to be a disciplinarian. That is what it's supposed to be. Right. Um, speaking of interest rates, you know, I wonder, you know, how are buyers and sellers adjusting in New York City? What is this? What? How are they sort of um, digesting? I think they've had enough time now to digest them because, you know, rates have been ticking up for a while. The Fed had to raise rates, which impacted us. And I think uh, people are, are, are well aware that rates are now between five and six, and they went up a little bit. Um, yeah. I think the debt ceiling stuff sort of impacted that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's where it is. And it's gonna stay like that for quite a while. I don't think rates are gonna go back down to two or three anytime soon. So people are accepting that everything is more expensive today than it was. So buyers are well aware of it as are sellers. Therefore, you have to factor that into when you're buying something and sellers do too. They know that buyers have less buying power because money is more expensive. Their monthly costs are more expensive. And for the same thing for sellers, they're less motivated maybe to sell because they're giving up a mortgage rate that's so low. So if they they sell and they buy something else, they're going to be spending more each month depending on their mortgage, obviously. So. But it's an, it's that's why I say it's a transition market. It's a recalibrating market, um, and it's a new it's a new vibe. It's a new day, um, and we have to kind of let go of you know I, I I called it the the year of FOMO. You know, it was like <laughs> year of everybody was like, well, I'm gonna just buy everything and I'm gonna get a new house and I'm gonna people were spending money like crazy because the pandemic. So many people also made a lot of money. Right. We were all locked down, and so as soon as you could get out and start spending. Um, on everything from restaurants to clothes to houses, people went on a spending spree. Um, And that's what happened. And now we're back. We're in a much more austere environment. And I expect that to be for quite a while. You know, on the topic of interest rates, you know, some owners um, are just deciding to stay put, as you mentioned, you know, they're 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 married to their interest rate. They don't want they don't want to increase. uh, the problem here in New York is if you decide to stay put, you don't have the luxury of building an addition or, or sort of accommodating your needs at home, building a guest house, renovating very quickly or easily. Do you have you heard, you know, from from agents at BHS, you know, what are owners doing 
uh, if they're sort of stuck in their home? Is there anything they're prioritizing at home right now? I think, you know, what happened uh, during the pandemic is people got very creative and started thinking about how they wanted to renovate and change the space that they lived in. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you saw a lot of people looking for wanting home offices, uh, changing that around. And, being creative also with workout routines, you know, yeah. yoga mats and being able to figure out how to put a work, get a workout in Peloton, having a bike. Um, so I think that inspired a bit of that, you know, they didn't have a choice. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think some people have worked within that and changed their space to fit new needs. Mm -hmm. um, we did see during the pandemic, because people were locked down, that what some of the things that they wanted, if they were going to sell or get a new space, uh, outdoor space became a big one. Yeah. Um, and then proximity to things that mattered to them also became a big thing that people cared about. But I think back to your original question, people are able to work within their space and try to create something like a home office, I think was a big one that people tried to build and create during that time, because there were people that were able to work from home uh, more. Uh, now, I think that's less so depending on what you do. I think going into the office is becoming I'm going to make it a trend. I think it should be a trend. We've yeah. had everybody back in the office since things opened up. Yeah. And I do think office culture is really important. And coming into the office as a professional matters. And it also impacts, you know, as I say, the salad place, you know, the yeah. FDA, everything. If everybody sits at home, the economy, they say the economy, I said this on the last time I was, we were talking, it's like a shark. You know, if it stops moving, it dies. So right. we got Got to keep it moving. Got to keep it yeah. moving and moving. You mentioned outdoor space. And this is a question I always come back to when I speak to people, because I'm curious if it's really changing the way developers think about buildings, even at, you know, a more, more affordable range. Are they really prioritizing making sure units have outdoor space as a way to sell? Yeah, I think as, sorry for that, you hear the melodies of New York City, right? <laughs> yeah. Can't really okay. enjoy those. <laughs> like, er, er. Um, yeah, uh, many developers are now taking into account everything, particularly outdoor space is a big one. Um, it's, you know, you can't always get it for every apartment and every, some buildings are, you're limited in what you can do, but yeah. that is definitely a consideration is outdoor space. And as I just said, the home office has become something important too, as they're yeah. and amenities wise, you know, we were just talking about this yesterday, my, my friends and I about, you know, pickleball is like the latest thing. Everybody's talking about pickleball. So that's another thing that people are trying or considering. Um, when they're doing amenities is pickleball and the cold plunge, you know? Oh, yes. Uh -huh. cold, have you ever done a cold plunge? Uh, yes, like in the ocean, not in a... Oh, Becky, that doesn't count. I mean, like cold... <laughs> Maine, I, mean, I think it counts. <laughs> I th Oh, yeah, maybe you're right. That is, a, But I mean, like a, a, an intentional sort of like going to a place and like dipping your body in 39 degrees. Yeah, no, no, no. six minutes, you can do that. There's a place called Remedy Place that's fantastic on 21st and you do yeah. the and so, but those things are very, cause wellness is such a you know, common theme today for people who are trying to live longer and take care of themselves better. So, you know, cold plunge is another thing that uh, developers are considering with amenities. Yeah. We just wrote a series about wellness in the home. And one of the big things was that gyms now have this whole recovery aspect built into it. So the plunge pools, the infrared, the things infrared. like that. That's right. The infrared is another thing to that. So that's trendy. I let's, you know, we'll see how, how long that lasts. Right. So you, you mentioned uh, the return to office, which it's just crazy that we're still 
talking about that three years later, you know, three and a half years later. Um, but mandatory returns are, are increasing. There's still news about this. For example, uh, JP Morgan recently mandated more time in the office for some employees and JP Morgan's a huge employer here. So I'm curious if that, you know, if that is noticeable in the housing market that, that more people are having to come back to the city to work. I mean, I, we're, you're seeing, you know, it's where you're seeing more people in, for example, Midtown and other areas, you know, we're seeing it fill up better because initially when we, when we were able to come back to the office right after uh, the pandemic and things started to open up, it was still very light. There weren't a lot of people out and people were not coming in and you're starting to feel that there's more of a presence and there's more traffic. Even if you take the subway or you're walking, it just feels like there are more people out there um, and, and how that impacts housing you know, I don't know that that has a direct impact uh, yeah. on housing, but I do think that it's important, you know, for companies to have people come into, as I, we talked about the economy, you know, you you don't want to have all these office buildings empty. It's just not good for anyone. Right. And I also don't think it's good for human beings. You know, you need, they should be together. They need to come in. They need to talk. If you're, you know, working on a project all that stuff for culture. I don't think a Zoom gives you the same thing as in-person time with people for whatever you're doing. In business especially, I think uh, people need to get together, be together, and work towards something together. And I think it's great that JP Morgan, Tiffany did that early on. We did it early on. A lot of companies did. And I think requiring people to come in is a good thing. Working from home I think it just has a bad impact all around. And and I have gotten a lot of people fighting me on that, but I just really think it creates a lot of um, complacency, laziness, and I think it, it can make people a little bit depressed. The the empty offices in New York, is that, that's obviously mostly driven by the pandemic, but was that an issue moving into the pandemic? Uh, you know, what what's sort of driving that? It, well, there was some of that, but it was very slight compared to what happened after the pandemic because it, it literally like everything shut down, everybody went home. And then when people were able to actually do work from mm -hmm. home, people were like, well, maybe the new model is work from home and who needs to spend all this money on office space if we can just do the same thing at home? And and people started to feel like, I don't need to take the train. I can work from home and I have more time with my family, which I totally get that. Uh, but I think at the overall is that it's not a good thing. I think for it's good to know that we can do it in an emergency when right. there's a pandemic. Right. But I think then the impact has been catastrophic for offices because now like B and C office space is really is challenged. It's really right. challenged. So then, of course, the question is, what do you do with it? And can it be converted into residential? It can be. I know um, Silverstein, I just did something not too long ago with Marty Berger, uh, who works for Silverstein, mm -hmm. really smart guy. And they're taking on something and they're converting something into residential, which is great. We need more units. Yeah. We need more housing. So it's tricky to do it, though, and it's very expensive. And so not everybody can get in the game to do it. And again, you know, the fact that rates, everything is more expensive today than it was makes that even harder for people, for developers and builders who want to do that. Uh, but I, I think it would be great if we could do more of it because we could create more housing for people and space that's not being used. And also if it's, it's if it's B and C space, it's going to need to get redone anyway, which right. just means that it's older than 20 years. People, mm -hmm. if they're renting office space, they want class A. They want it done with amenities, beautiful with terraces. Right. They're not going to spend 
uh, a lot of money on something. They're not going to spend 90 or $100 a foot on something that is just not well done, you yeah. know? And so that space needs to be redone anyway. Right. I guess if the cost of conversion is so high, it sort of requires that the units then be luxury or more for it to make sense for developers. Well, they could do an affordable housing piece. It'd be good mm -hmm. if we could get some concessions for them to do it, which is why, you know, things like the 421A are important to give people who are doing these things some sort of tax incentives so that it makes sense um, because we do need more affordable housing. You know, it's important. We do need to build more affordable housing. Um, one inflow of residents that we've written about a few times is this sort of sneaky cohort of San Francisco, Silicon Valley tech people that are coming into the city. Has that, have you registered that at BHS a little bit? Have you seen that movement? I haven't seen much of that. Um, I saw that you, you asked that. I personally have not seen that. Uh, I haven't heard from it regard with the agents or seen it personally. So I'm sure it'll take a little bit of time. If that's really happening, we'll start to realize that. It usually there's a few months before you start to really see right. it. That'd be great. I'd love to grab some of that, some yeah. of that business. It would be good. We, As you know, Becky, we've lost uh, a lot of residents from New York to Florida and Texas. And that right. was happening even before the pandemic because of taxes, because people were like, well, I'm just not going to pay this much in taxes. It seemed it didn't make sense to people. And we saw businesses like Goldman Sachs. We saw Carl Icahn. We saw Ken Griffin. We saw a lot of people set up in Florida for right. those reasons. And so, you know, we got to be cognizant of that. We want to keep people here. We want to keep businesses in New York City. It's important for us to thrive. And so the legislature has to keep that in mind. I think it's so important. Do you feel like the people that have left to Florida or other low tax areas, are they keeping a foothold in New York City? Are there still, you know, are they, do they have their co-op here or, or is it really a, a clean, you know, clean cut? It's not been a clean cut at all. Nothing is ever, you know, I know Twitter loves like simple, like, you know, <laughs> the keeping it's either black or white, right. but everything is gray and complicated and nuanced and very much in the middle. And no, it's not a clean cut. Some people sold their place here and moved to Palm Beach. Or, and some people kept their place here, went to Palm Beach and came back, yeah. and, you know, or some people moved to Connecticut. And, you know, so it's a it's a mixed bag. I've had a lot of friends who who left during the pandemic, but have come back um, and, you know, would share things like I couldn't play tennis anymore. I needed to get back to the city. I missed I missed the vibe. I missed what was going on. I missed my restaurants and my friends and my book club and all those things. And so it's a mixed bag. I think people. You know, as, as Seinfeld alluded to or wrote about in that op-ed, which was so good about, you know, New York City is interesting. There's so much going on here and it is the talent capital of the world. So people just want to be here. Right. Um, good, bad, ugly, all that stuff. There's so much to be learned about uh, when you come to New York City, when you're here. And I think, you know, m taxes is one thing and, 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 you know, that has to work itself out. But I do think a lot of people returned to New York. Many people left, but we did have people return as well. Um, but it's still something we have to pay attention to. It's not a good thing. We don't want to lose residents. We really don't. Um, something I noticed, this is maybe just a blip, but uh, there was some contract data for Manhattan, Manhattan and Brooklyn yesterday. And there was a small increase in, in luxury. The luxury activity seemed to be strong in May. Uh, would you interpret that for us? Is it a blip? What does it mean? You know, is the luxury sector kind of doing pretty, pretty well? 
you know, luxury sector is kind of different than everything else in the sense that it's more discretionary. So people uh, can decide, usually, you know, in that arena, people will own a few homes. It will not just be New York City. It'll be one in the Hamptons, uh, one in, you know, or in, in Rhinebeck or in Martha's Vineyard, wherever it is, people own a few homes. And so they can decide to maybe they want to move downtown because they're empty nesters or whatever. And that market has been pretty steady. Um, and we had a really good May because we did some some big deals. And I don't think it's unusual. Uh, the townhouse market has been really strong. There was an over $40 million sale recently in New York City. Um, there are, remember a lot of people made a lot of money during the pandemic there, there, and there are people that are spending and changing their location. Mm -hmm. And I think the luxury market is sort of remains strong and, and people are able to make decisions in a different way than people who are trying to figure out like first time home buyers. It's a very different mindset because when they have ample cash and they're not worried about rates, it's different than a first time home buyer who's putting down their life savings on their first little studio apartment. Uh, very different than discretionary yeah. when they're like, well, this is my third home. Right. And, you know, so it's the mindset, the buyer is different. You know, totally. it's a very different type of a buyer. Totally. And they have access to totally different kinds of financing than the average. Yeah. It's a lot of, sometimes a lot of cash buying too. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it, it really depends. But yes, I saw that in May too. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, another story that, that has come across our desk recently is this idea that the U.S. housing market got really hyper local uh, and uh, mark, as markets diverge. So you get a place like San Francisco where home prices have fallen compared in the same month that in Miami home prices are soaring so that different narratives are, are cropping up. In a, at a New York City level, do you feel that that's happened at all where there are some neighborhoods that are underperforming and there are other neighborhoods that are like overperforming at the moment? And would, do you have any examples of those? Well, yeah, I, I think I always have felt that real estate is very local. I, I, you see it all the time. And like what you just said about San Francisco versus Miami, it's just a great uh, demonstration example of that. Uh, and yeah, in, in New York City, there are there are areas that are stronger than others. There's markets, you know, there's markets within markets, yeah. for example, you know, Midtown East is a is a market that's not doing as well, for example, is say downtown, you know, mm -hmm. certain areas of downtown. Yeah. Uh, and it just depends on, you know, supply and demand and where people want to be and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, the Upper East Side uh, versus for example, the Flatiron District, every neighborhood has a different um, supply and demand thing that's going on. And so it just really depends. And some neighborhoods within New York City are more like neighborhoods, you know, like are more like you have parks and schools and hospitals. So it, 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 it brings a lot more people there versus sort of Midtown East that feels very much more commercial and less I don't know if I'm supposed to even say, it, but like family, I don't know that you're allowed to say, it, but less familial, in yeah. a way, mm -hmm. so to speak. But look, it takes time for for neighborhoods to get trendy. Remember, you know, I remember when meatpacking was nobody would go there, and now right. if you go to 14th Street all the way over, yeah. you have you know Chelsea Market, you have the High Line, like that's a place where it's so expensive to live, but you know, not too long ago, it was a place that nobody wanted to be. Same with Tribeca. Right. Think about it. And now that's a, another very expensive zip code. So it takes time, but then places get trendy like Williamsburg. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, it's like anything, you, you know, put a flag down there, people start coming there, schools are there, it gets trendy, and then it becomes very expensive. It just takes time for that to happen.
So speaking of that, um, something that we've talked about on our team is this idea of Penn Station, because there I, we know that there are a few, uh, maybe one in particular, some buildings there that have that are coming online that are that are doing you know, off plan sales that are doing well. And to us, we're thinking, how could the Penn Station neighborhood ever be, you know, but are we going to look back one day and be like, remember when Penn Station, you know, was what we think of when we think of meatpacking or even the Lower East Side from the 70s or something like that, you know, are, are, is this like a good time to stake out, a, uh, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, Becky, it's so when you're, you know, walking around that area, Penn Station, and you're thinking about it, you think, how could this ever, it's hard to imagine, even even for me, I'm a New yeah, Yorker, totally. and I walk the city, I am one of those people that really walks New York City, inside yeah. and out, and loves the city, and that area in particular does not seem like it would ever be like that, but, you know, look, Hudson Yards, there was a big investment in Hudson Yards, um, I was actually in that area last night, uh, walking around with a friend, and um, and they put a lot of money into it. And is it a place where I would want to live and be? No. Um, but there are a lot of people that like it and, and it takes time and maybe Penn station, that area is going to be up and coming. I, I know it doesn't look like it now. It doesn't feel like it now either, but I am sure that that's what, you know, look, the Upper East Side where I live right now in Yorkville people would never live there like 20 years ago or 30 years ago it was considered a little bit you know dodgy or dangerous and now you know it's so those things change it's just hard when you're in it to look at it you know you have to wait you know that's what history is right it's the study of surprises and it takes time for that to so i don't see it either right now but i do think potentially it it, it could be a very special place right, right? We'll right. see, Becky. You and I, let's. We'll have to yeah. check in with each other. <laughs> yeah, I'll get back to you in, in fifteen years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we end, I did want to talk a little bit about the Hamptons, um, which is totally different from New York City um, and has had uh, a total boom over the pandemic. But there was just just no inventory, right? Or there wasn't. So I'm curious if that's eased at all. Yeah, I mean, there's still uh, not great. Uh, there's still a lot of demand and not enough inventory and prices are still pretty high. Mm -hmm. I was talking to our top uh, Hamptons agent this morning. We we're just catching up about something. And he was telling me that there were 17 contracts signed last week and the market is strong. People are buying and selling, but it is challenged in the sense that there, he, you know, we wish that there was more supply. Um, and uh, it's still very much a place where people want to be. It's it's expensive, a um, lot of traffic to get there, as you know. Um, but it's a place in the summer that New Yorkers, you know, want to be, and people come from all over to go to. And so, um, I think the Hamptons market is still very solid, still yeah. strong. Do you have advice for, or any advice for buyers or sellers out there, potentially buyers who, um, if there's just nothing around, are there other areas? that are up and coming that might be worth looking into i mean i i mean i the hamptons is always tough because it's just it is it is a little bit more expensive if i think that if you can find like a fixer upper and get somebody to make it really nice for you that's great but if you're interested in considering a different area now i'm very i'm a bit biased because i have family there but i love rhinebeck new york i have um my brother lives there he has a farm my mom is there I just find the area to be so beautiful. There's a lot of New Yorkers there. 
But there, that is also, we have an office there, BHS does. Um, they're, they're, we are challenged for inventory as well. Yeah. Um, and there's high, high demand. But uh, it's the price point is less than the Hamptons. So mm-hmm. you can get something um, there. More re- it's more reasonable. And it's an hour and a half um, out of the city. And it's a, it's a different vibe. It's more like Birkenstocks versus an all white party. It's more, it's a little, yeah. it's more of an artist colony yeah. versus the Hamptons. My mom's in Saugerties actually. It's just oh. the river. <laughs> so. I have a lot of friends who live in Saugerties yeah. and you know, there's Kingston, you have yeah. all these and Hudson. We have an office in Hudson too, which mm-hmm. I love that area to me is more my vibe, even though I do like the Hamptons so much. Um, but I think Rhinebeck, Saugerties, Kingston, all of that, people who bought there like a while ago are feeling very good. Oh. Like my brother is like in heaven because he's invested so much in the area, but he did it many years ago. Yeah. So now people are like always trying to buy his property and, um, yeah, your mom's your mom's in a good area. She's in. A yeah, good area. yeah, she lucked out. She was a benefit a beneficiary of that. There was a home foreclosure in the neighborhood, and we we had thought about buying it, and now we're like kicking ourselves oh that we God. didn't get in there before the pandemic. Do you go and see your mom? Do you go visit her? Yeah, all the time. Because mm-hmm. there's also now a lot of good restaurants. Um, so, so good. Yeah. Uh, there's a gentleman, a friend of mine. His name is Will Gadara. He wrote a book called Unreasonable Hospitality, which is fantastic. And he used to, he opened up Eleven Madison, which was the number one restaurant in the world. He has uh, a, a home uh, in Kingston, and I think he's opening up a restaurant there. He's also got a place in the city. A lot of people from New York are you know are heading that way. They believe yeah. in it, and so that's another option for people. Who don't want to do the Hamptons and they and the traffic is not as crazy to go to Rhinebeck. Oh, yeah, no, we never get caught in traffic. Exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so we are out of time. Great. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Beth. Uh, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. Thank you so much, Becky. I hope you have a beautiful weekend. Yes, you too. Take care. Um, And to our audience, please join us again on Monday when Baron Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Rublin, Deputy Editor Ben Levison and Barry Bannister, Managing Director and Chief Equity Strategist at Stifle, uh, discuss the outlook for financial markets, industry sectors, and individual stocks. Thank you for listening. Be well and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.